Think about how you look, how your face is shaped, how your eyes are set, and now imagine the way you look is so different from others. Do you feel uneasy because you don't fit in? If you could get surgery to normalize your appearance, would you? When does fitting in become more about who you are and not what you look like? Author and speaker Don Shaw says beauty is an inside job and that accepting your appearance and realizing your value is how to be resilient. She shares some steps on how to do that on this episode of Traverse Talks. For those who are listening, can you describe your physical appearance and then your personality? Both my physical appearance and my personality are very difficult to describe. How do you describe that? My appearance, I see myself all the time, so I don't think about it. But basically, I have facial paralysis on the left side of my face. What that has done is it causes my left eye to droop a little bit. It doesn't blink. It will close when the other eye closes, but it does not blink independently. I also, because I have no muscles that work and nerves, the left side of my face just kind of, it's just very still. And the nerve damage caused me to be nearly deaf in my left ear, which is not a physical attribute, I realize, but it just kind of goes along with the package. My right side is animated, uh, it's normal muscle. In fact, they actually had to kind of pare things down a little bit because it would almost overcompensate for the fact that my left side didn't move. So you were born with a tumor that was removed? Yes. There's a story, you've had some surgeries, but there's one particular surgery where you you woke up and decided no more? I wish it was that simple. It wasn't quite that simple. Will you tell us the story? Uh, it's not. It's certainly not the first time I'd had a surgery go wrong. And I think it's easy for people to have this idea that medicine fixes everything, that all you have to do is just go in and have a couple of procedures and you'll be fine. And to be honest, I think I suffered from some disillusionment when I was younger about just what was able to be done and what wasn't. Mm. And the particular experience that you're speaking of is when I was 21, I had a surgery that was designed to flesh out the somewhat angular left side of my face, the paralyzed side. Because really, when you think about it, it's all about symmetry. Mm. That's what people notice is when things are asymmetrical. And so that surgery did not go well. I woke up in intensive care. I had a breathing tube down my throat because the swelling was so intense. They had my hands tied down so that I wouldn't rip the tubes out of my face in my semi-conscious state. I was basically very miserable. And the transplant didn't work. They were trying to transplant fatty tissue from my abdomen into my cheek. And actually, I had physical pain and discomfort from that scar on my abdomen for about a year. So there's long-lasting effects. It's not just, oh, it didn't work. There's actually physical ramifications when something goes wrong. 
And then during that time of healing and pain, you came to a decision about surgeries or... Oh, I'd had it. I'd completely... It wasn't overnight. In fact, I actually went back and talked to my surgeon again, and we talked about what can we do next. But then I realized I didn't want to do this anymore. Because every time you go into surgery, you're putting your life at risk. And this was just one example, extreme example, of where it could have killed me. And so the amount of difference that was being made for the physical and mental price that I was paying, it wasn't worth it. Mm. I mean, there was no way that they were ever going to fix things completely. It just was never going to happen. And it doesn't take much for people to notice when someone looks different. They're going to stare, or they're going to look, or they're going to do a double take, or whatever. And even if they got things mostly back, it would still be a little bit off. Mm. Is it that time or before when you were really concentrating on working on the inner beauty, the person within? To be honest, the inner beauty stuff honestly really has only happened in about the last decade or so. Really? So we're talking about a surgery that happened in my 20s, and I'm now in my 50s. So probably the most significant internal changes came in my 40s. Was that just maturing into who you are, or was there something about that? I think part of it was at some point I decided I needed to write my memoir. And it took me seven years to write that book because it wasn't easy. I was scrutinizing every aspect of my life. I mean, yes, you were probably looking deep within yourself. Well, and not only that, but when I wrote the first draft, my editor, she pointed out, she said, Don, you're telling about stuff, but you're not really telling it from your heart. The authenticity, she wanted more. She wanted deeper emotion. I needed to bring people into what I was writing. I needed to describe it in such a way and yet do it authentically. And of course, I mean, a lot of this is about my history. I'm not going to remember those kind of details. So I had to go back in my mind and say, how would I have behaved? What would I have said? Because I've actually had people, how do you remember all that? I don't. Of course I don't. There are some, yes, there are some things that were written down for whatever reason, or there are things that stick in my head, so I'm confident that they happened almost exactly the way I tell them. Hmm. But my point is, when I wrote that memoir, I realized a couple of things. One, that I had a story that was worth sharing, and I realized somewhere in there that I probably needed to become a speaker. And I also knew that if I wanted to become a speaker, I had to make some changes. I probably had a reputation of being a little bit cynical, maybe a little more on the negative side. Hmm. And I needed to change that. Were you getting feedback from those around you that uh, you're a little rough? Um, to some degree. Huh. You know, it's funny, when you have a physical difference, speaking of feedback, sometimes people don't call you on your BS. They let you get away with bad behavior because of your appearance, because 
oh, you've been through so much. Because they feel sorry for you. Yes, or they don't want to add. Meanwhile, inside, they are feeling angry at you for what you've said. They are hurt by what you've said. But they just internalize it and let you continue doing it because they don't want to add to your pain, discomfort, and whatever. And I, I think that's actually fairly normal. It's very difficult to confront people. This is why we surround ourselves by people that are honest and truthful but loving. Because I've, I've often heard this quote that you can tell the truth, but without love, it's malicious. Yes. So you package the truth with love, and it's like your behavior last night was pretty, pretty rough. And here's why. And you're better than that. Well, and they're probably not going to be too happy to hear it at first. And what you hope is, I mean, I'm a processor. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm usually going to push back or have a bad reaction at first, but then I'm going to sit on it and I'm going to think about it. And there are times, thankfully, I've gotten to a point where I not only can say, yeah, you know, you were right, but I could also say, no, actually, I don't think so. I don't agree with that assessment of my behavior, but thanks for the input. Yeah. <laughs> And that's hard, too, because it's very easy to just fall into, oh, wow, there's a flaw. That person pointed out a flaw. And I think that we tend to be most sensitive about the flaws that we perceive in ourselves. So you're you're just sensitive already, and when somebody points something out, it's a hot button in you yes, already. Exactly. This is this is so interesting, Don, because in the past couple of months, I've noticed not only just in society, but with with some close friends, it's like constructive feedback, constructive criticism is good. It's good for you. It's hard. It's hard to give and it's hard to take. Yes, but don't we grow more as human beings and professionals when things are hard? Like you're held to a standard and you need to take a hard look at that and find out, okay, can I do better? I guess what I wonder is, do most people just think right out of the shoot, you're good to go. You're never going to need to change your personality or work on something. (laughs) Well, they're delusional if they think that way. I mean, how could you not? I mean, if you've gone a whole year without somebody like holding you to your own crap, (laughs) then you don't have any real friends. Well, and I mean, I have horses and I've done horse training. And one of my Icelandic horse instructors actually said, when you are leaving the horse alone, the horse thinks it's doing it right. When you are correcting the horse, it understands that it needs to do something differently. So if you don't say or do anything at all, that person thinks that what they're doing is perfectly acceptable or maybe there's a part of them that knows that it isn't, but they do it anyway because they've been getting away with it. Well, Don, I have a nephew who uh, became blind later in life, and some family members go above and beyond assisting him in things that he oh. should be able to do himself. And I kind of am the mean auntie. Because <laughs> he'll no. be like, will you get me a piece of cake? And I'm like, it's right in front of you. Get it yourself. And I'm like, you should help him out. Why? The boy knows where it is. He could probably sense it better than I can. <laughs> yeah, that's. I believe that is called enabling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you are actually, what you're doing is absolutely right. Well, and, you know, manners still matter if you have a impairment or not. Yes. And so I pretty much demand that he still has manners around me. But, yeah, I could, I could see, though, how, how people would let things slide because... They want to enable or they feel sorry for them, but that's not fair to the person either because you're not treating them the same. Right. So you probably had, so you had some 
feedback. Well, and I've had I've heard stories again, not personal stories, but I've heard stories about people who have visual disabilities who people will literally grab them and walk them across the street. Oh my! Or they will. It's like if I'm in a grocery store and somebody's in a chair or they're lower stature. I unless they actually indicate that they want help, I'm not gonna like. Oh, here, let me get that for you. Mm. I need to make sure that they want the help, and I think that's a lot of like check in with them. People just jump in and do things for people when they don't really they didn't need or ask for it. Isn't this interesting? Because you think you're helping, right? But you have not given them the choice. You've made the choice for them. I think this is a whole thing in society in general that we are all honestly becoming more aware of because of various activists who are like, actually, I didn't ask for your help because I want to do it myself. And then we're we're now making people realize, ah, can I get this for you? Do you need any help? No, I'm good. And that's okay. Yeah. Still be friendly about it. And respectfully. And yes. Well, I tell you, there's also people who get really offended when people ask. Oh, really? And I don't think that's fair either. I know. I don't think that's fair. I mean, because they've asked. (laughs) They're just trying to be friendly. All right. So your parents took you everywhere and exposed you when you were a kid, which is great. They didn't hide you away. So it put you in situations where you were dealing with people at a young age. What advice would you give parents today if they have a child who may be different? Well, first of all, what you just said, (laughs) get them out into the world, because that was really valuable for me. Now, what I will say is that my dad was defensive of me. If children stared at me, he would growl at them and stare them down. And what it did, I mean, on one hand, it made me feel protected and loved. But on the other hand, it also made me defensive. Oh, interesting. And that was something that I did not fix again until much later. I did not have connections with people, other people that had facial differences. I grew up not knowing anyone. And it wasn't until social media or internet that I got connected with more people. You got out of isolation. You saw others with maybe similar facial disfigurements. And and how did that make you feel? You know, it was kind of funny for me because on one hand, I considered myself to be well-adjusted. I don't understand sometimes when other people aren't. And also, like, I went to a camp up in Canada that was set up by an organization called About Face in Canada. And I was going to meet people. I mean, I knew I'd met other people with facial differences. I do have friends that have facial differences that I'd met before that. But I almost felt like part of my uniqueness was being jeopardized. Because I was going to be up there with other people that had similar or, I don't know, I mean, nobody quite had it the same look that I did, but people that were had facial differences. And how do you feel now? Do you feel like your uniqueness was a bit muffled? I don't worry about it so much anymore. I just roll with it. I actually, I wish that I could come up with all the right things to say to people because there's so many people that have physical differences, facial differences, that are afraid to go out. Yeah. And that makes me very sad. Mm. And that's where I'm so grateful that my parents took me around. I went to Disneyland recently. It doesn't bother me. Have you always been that way, that it doesn't bother you if people look or stare? You know, I think, again, another irony is when I wrote my book, 
And when I started paying more attention because it became part of my profession, I think I might have actually started to notice it more. Interesting. And maybe because I had a certain level of confidence. I mean, I haven't always, and when it comes to relationship, that that was a development. But I believe that you get treated the way you expect to be treated. Mm. And if I do not expect to be treated any differently, for the most part, people don't. Wow. When I go into a restaurant, I don't expect that they're going to try to hide me at a back table. Actually, what's funny about restaurants is I only have to show up a second time and suddenly I'm a regular because <laughs> everybody recognizes me. So, making the mirror your friend, how do you work on your inner beauty? It takes practice. I mean, people don't think about that. I mean, there's a lot said about affirmations. Mm. And I know people will kind of poo-poo that, oh, yeah, just say something nice about yourself. But actually, it really helps. Focusing on things that are positive about yourself and also perspective. How do you get perspective? Well, for example, when somebody says something mean to you, mm. you can internalize it and you can say that, oh, you know, that person really hurt my feelings and now I'm hurt and angry and what they said must be true. Or you think in terms of, no, actually, what that person said to me is more about themselves, not about me. This projection. Yeah. Where, like, you know, you know somebody's going through a rough time. There's something about you that they have a thing about because they're working on their own crap. Right. And they just throw it at you, and you're like, that really wasn't about me? Well, and that's where, and actually it kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier about constructive feedback. yeah. Is... You have to be careful to make sure that you're doing it in such a way that it's not reflective of yourself. It's mm. like, you, you know, saying you hurt my feelings or, you know, when you said this, it actually really hurt my feelings because I felt like blah. Mm. And that is constructive because it's coming from your point of view. I have not, believe me, I'm not an expert at constructive criticism. I certainly, that's an area that I could use a little work. Like I said, I tend to be more direct. Like, what the heck did you say that for? Well, I like getting to the point as well. Uh, that was a really crappy job. You think you can do better? But anyway, <laughs> well, yeah. could be couched in more nicer language. So what we have here to work on inner beauty is focusing on positive things about yourself. So affirmations, right. which I think are great because I feel like the brain, people need to perceive that their brain is actually a muscle that they have to exercise. And part of that is affirmations. And then two, you said perspective. Right. And what else can we do to work on our inner beauty? Do things that you enjoy doing. I mean, I find that as a speaker, I do vocal warm-ups. And I do the same vocal warm-ups that singers use. In fact, I like to sing. I actually can sing to a degree. Wonderful. So I find that when I do vocal warm-ups, it always makes me feel better. If, even if I'm in a crappy mood, if I do that, I feel better at what I've done. So it's as if... You're encouraging people to really get to know themselves without the appearance and to like themselves and do what they like. And then from that, it grows. Do you think eventually people then rely less on physical beauty to get through the day? 
Well, you almost have to because physical beauty is temporary. I mean, there's a lot of people that do things that they might feel is an improvement, like having facelifts and whatnot. And I mean, I suppose they might argue it's better than wrinkles, but I mean, aging is a normal, natural process. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up aging because I feel like a lot of our conversations about inner beauty and physical beauty is really youth-based, but we have a whole huge generation of people, and particularly women because beauty standards are pretty much hoisted on them, that are aging and having a really hard time making the mirror their friend. Yeah. What would you say to those who are aging about beauty? Well, if you are truly happy with yourself as a person, I mean, if you want to do something like Botox or get a nose job because you just want to, then fine. But if you're doing it because you think it's going to improve how you feel about yourself or how other people look at you, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. So when you're doing your gigs and you're speaking, I mean, it takes a lot of energy. So on top of the fact that, you know, you're out in society, do you feel like your energy is drained a bit more? Because not only are you giving your audience a talk, but people are staring at you more just on the street. Oh, I don't think people are staring at me any more than they used to. I mean, most of the time, if they're staring at me, I don't even notice. Mm. I to kind of put a filter on. I mean, I just go about living my life. Good. And unless they actually say something to me. And what's the best way for somebody who's curious? Or is it okay to approach somebody who's different and ask them questions? I think you'd have to have a reason. I mean, I mm. with kids, kids will stare at me. And I will actually encourage them to ask me. Because I really feel like that education, first of all, knowing that I actually am an actual human being capable mm. of two-way communication, oftentimes it's at an event. So are you having a good time? And I can engage them in a normal conversation. And it's like, look, I can tell you're curious about my face. Why don't you go ahead and ask me about it? And so if you're just at Safeway and somebody was just walking by and they're like, oh, hey, what, what's what's, what's with, going on with your face? That is not acceptable. No. I mean, it's like I say, it's human nature to be curious. It's always inappropriate to be rude. Agreed. I have to admit, it can be a fine line where people just don't know the difference. Mm. My husband has these white spots that came out when he was older after an accident. It just didn't come back with the, the melatonin, with the color. Okay. And it's pretty obvious on his face. And Blunt force trauma, maybe? Yes, yeah, okay. yes. It was a snowboarding accident. Skin was scraped off on several places, and then when it came back, it just came back white. But it's usually during skiing, too, now, where people will stop him, and their approach is usually like, you know, they're looking. And most of the time, if they're polite, he'll tell them what happened, because they're genuinely curious. Hey, man, is that... Is that natural, or did you dye it? Which I think is such an interesting question. Did you dye yeah, it? we all dye our skin, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and as his spouse, you know, I usually don't mind, because most of the time it's like an educational kind of a moment, and they're younger people anyway. And it usually ends with, like, you're a rock star kind of a thing. And I have noticed that I don't notice anymore. So when people point it out, I'm like, oh. Yeah, and I think that is... Something that I wanted to bring up is when you get to know somebody, you notice things less. I mean, I have good friends. I, I could hardly describe them to you. <laughs> so tell me what your friend Susan looks like. Uh, she's just Susan. I know her when I see her. <laughs> <laughs> I 
you know. I love this so much because you really get to know who they are, not their bodies. And you pay attention to their hearts, right? I mean, usually if you notice something about them, it's because they've brought it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What other advice would you give people to try to get in touch with their inner beauty? Be around people that you enjoy being around that are positive, mm-hmm. that lift you up instead of tear you down. You're giving them permission to unhitch from unhealthy relationships. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. I've definitely <laughs> been in a couple of those. But I do believe that it starts inside. Mm. It's never overnight. It's not fast. I mean, even though I made that decision in my early 20s that I didn't want surgery anymore, it still took a long time. And it's hard not to rely on what other people It's hard to step away from other people's opinions. I mean, I cannot honestly say that I don't care what other people think. But notice, like in the title of my speech, my speech is called The Power of Choice, How Not to Allow What Other People Think Influence How You Feel About Yourself. It doesn't mean what other people say or do or think doesn't affect me. It's how much it affects how I feel about myself. It's still hurtful, but I move through it faster because I have a good self-image. You're not immune. I don't believe that any human being is going to totally become immune from other people's opinions. Mm -hmm. So you just have to work on your inner filters and processes and choices. Don, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. author and speaker Dawn Shaw. Such valuable lessons from her, especially about how to take an impairment and use it to find inner strength. You can learn more from Dawn on her YouTube channel. And thanks for listening to Traverse Talks. I'm Sue Ann Ramella.